Hello and greetings. This is Chris Heimerdinger. Welcome to Forever LDS and the second installment of the audiobook of my novel, Muckwhip's Guide to Capturing the Latter-day Soul. The inside scoop for teens, missionaries, and families on avoiding the pits and snares of the enemy. Today, a very short introduction, which I'm sure is so disappointing. I just wanted to express my thanks to supporters of Forever LDS on Patreon and Anchor. Those proceeds, even if just a pittance per month, goes a long way for an artist striving to celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. My deepest appreciation also goes out to those who purchase my books and other wares, especially during the holidays. Not sure why, but last week I got 30 orders for the hardback Valentine edition of Return to Christmas. I assume the book has been added to some kind of reading list for a book club or something. That doesn't happen. I mean, flattering as that is. I think I'm the only source for unused, uncirculated copies of that edition. All these orders came through Amazon from my Amazon store, Frost Cave. But don't settle for that. Call me directly for books and audiobooks. Amazon takes too big of a chunk. My number is right there on Forever LDS, not hidden, not disguised. I'm really not that famous or important. If you call, I can personalize the signatures as a gift or whatever. In fact, you can even get copies of the actual book I'm about to read in case you don't want to wait forever for the next installments. Or you can just frame it on your wall. Isn't that what most folks do with actual books these days? Okay, enough commercials. Let's dive right in. H. Mail 3 from Muckwhip at WayDownBelow.hel to Frognot at WayDownBelow.hel Subject Trifecta <laughs> My dear Frognot, I received your initial bi-weekly report and I must say that your overuse of servile phrases like extraordinary skill set, wicked wit, and imperious intelligence in describing my attributes are little more than vain and obvious attempts at kissing up. It reminded me of the tail waggings of an abused puppy. In short, I liked it very much. As you have asked my opinion regarding the best angles of attack... On a Mormon teenager, I offer my standard threefold retort. Social insecurity, the itch for independence, <clears throat> and boredom. Actually, these are successful fronts for enfeebling any adolescent, but there are certain nuances that will make your target especially vulnerable. With regard to social insecurity... Your boy is a sucker for public opinion. It's almost laughable. Like all youth, he believes upwards of everything he has ever told about himself, particularly by peers. At this time of his life, more than any other, he is an absolute slave to fad 
fashion and females. Oh, he may consider himself an independent thinker and should ever be encouraged to see himself as such, but during no other phase is he more paranoid about anything he might do or say that might earn the classification of being uncool or any of its fashionable synonyms. This he'll deny, but we are not so naive. Tragically oversensitive, you will find him willing to do virtually anything in that oh-so-nebulous quest to belong. Of course, uh, some youngsters will seek refuge within their families to circumvent such tripe, but not your boy. Thanks to the disharmony we've long cultivated in that environment, his home is the last place he wants to be. Your object, therefore, is to entangle him in just the right cliques, surround him with just the right friends, i.e. allies for our cause, who can bend him to believe that any moral or virtue he learned in a religious setting is painfully stifling and embarrassing. The organization itself must be viewed as uncool, or in more incisive terms, bigoted, parochial, and asphyxiating. Its leaders are imbeciles. Its programs intended to pester. Hypocrites are ubiquitous. If he adopts just one of these perspectives, your task becomes all the more elementary. Also, such effects neatly segue into his second vulnerability, the need for independence. Ah, but this is a fertile arena for gaining advantage. Your target is predisposed to wean himself not only from the influence of parents, but from all adults. He believes he is an adult, sharper and keener, without all the unavoidable impediments of Alzheimer's, which, as his personal observations suggest, begins its onset on all human beings over the age of 30. Persist in reminding him that he deserves all of the freedoms and status that adulthood implies. Milk this. To its maximum advantage, buttress it, ennoble it. Let anyone who questions his post-pubescence find themselves at the pinnacle of his blacklist. He must question every precept he's ever learned. This in and of itself is not precisely our objective, because... Often the things he questions are his own Quixotic conclusions and faulty worldviews. No, no, these we must keep intact. Whenever a young target finds himself in a state of hostility or disgruntlement about the place wherein life has planted him, we are infinitely freer to entice him with our more corrupting philosophies. Finally, exploit young Stuart's incurable tendency toward boredom. 
This is the ad nauseum lament of all teenagers. Oh, how they whine about it. Throughout their mortal probation, they have held fast the opinion that it was the inflexible responsibility of others, parents, teachers, and every other pultritudinous personality, to entertain them. From infancy, they've sought out fresh and unique stimulations to keep them engaged. Now, in the bloom of adolescence, your target is starting to inquire, is this it? Is there nothing more to life? Just pain? Trials? And loneliness? Your answer is always and resoundingly, yes, a gazillion times, yes. In past eras, of course, we haven't had the luxury of tending to such groveling self-indulgence. Most parents kept their nippers occupied by a solid day's work. It was a matter of survival, but this is an age of affluence. Your target is as spoiled as summer compost. I assure you, however, he sees the situation exactly the opposite, and this is good. Continue to let the world fall short of his expectations. Encourage him to internalize deep, heart-wrenching disappointment in people and principles. Drive him inconsolably berserk with boredom. Then strike with the obvious solution, sin, and only the most delicious varieties. This he will discover with all the curiosity of a kitten jostling a ball of yarn, is his only unexplored outlet of stimulation. Through attrition, you will convince him that without it, he may shrivel up and die. How I delight in watching the progression. It's so basic, so academic, so enthralling. I insist upon popcorn. Focus upon these three strategies as your staging grounds for every sortie. Make it a rotating trifecta of assault. If human history and experience tells us anything, young Mr. Hansen will find himself thoroughly defenseless. You'll have an entire smorgasbord of temptations at your fingertips. Do not neglect a single course. Your malignant master chef, Muckwhip. H. Mail 4. From Muckwhip at WayDownBelow.hel to Frognot at WayDownBelow.hel. Subject. <coughs> Opposite sex. My dear Frognot, I'm... Mildly impressed with the progress you are making in regards to your target's interest in sex. The last imp in charge of Mr. Hansen made precious little headway in this arena. That's why I had him join me for dinner some months back. An unappetizing topic, I assure you. Let me tell you where your predecessor went awry. He focused so much energy on destroying Mr. Hansen's self-esteem that the boy was convinced he wasn't the least bit attractive to females. We got away with this strategy when he was a lanky, pimple-faced squirt, but when he outgrew that phase last summer, your predecessor should have adjusted his tactics. 
In August, we had a perfect opportunity to thrust him into the arms of a girl with the standards of a sewer grate. But because of issues of self-esteem, he didn't even realize she was flirting. No, no, the, the low self-esteem thing became a colossal overkill. As you must be aware, there are few sins that deaden the soul to the promptings of the archenemy's spirit more than sexual immorality. To our infinite credit, we've exponentially multiplied our success in this category with each successive generation, and we have no anticipation that we will ever lose ground again. I've not seen our infernal father so ecstatic since the orgy fests of ancient Rome. Who could have imagined such a succulent harvest? Only our ignoble father, hear, hear, our strides worldwide have also provided much fruit among the members of the organization, especially, but not exclusively, its younger adherents. Our new crop of libertines is younger and younger every year. Youth of the new century accept no constraints. In fact, they are obsessed with the subject. And, and not just because of hormones and other contributors. We've made sex the preeminent focus of teenage repartee for both boys and girls. Even before your target frolicked off on his first official date last spring, he knew more about the methodology and minutiae of the subject than many persons of the previous generation fathomed after twenty years of marriage, and not because Stuart made any particular to research the matter. For pity's sake, we've introduced the most urbane perversities into their most common vernacular. Techniques and variations are batted back and forth in the dialogue of television sitcoms. They command the rhetoric of internet blogs. They're maximized in the prose of best-selling fiction, entangled in the lyrics of mainstream music. Dissect on the nightly news and bandied about by patrons and employees of the neighborhood mini-mart. The fables and fabrications of sex resound from the highest mountaintops. They monopolize magazine covers, wink back from restroom walls. Intimacy is anything but intimate. It is omnipresent. If any boy or girl isn't savvy to the facts of life by the age of six, the teeny bopper lives in a grotto. Needless to say, we've been grooming Mr. Hansen for a fatal plunge into this inescapable net his entire life. You need only employ a single finger to poke him off the cliff and into the abyss. First things first. In case you haven't noticed, Stuart Hansen has... Far too much respect for the opposite sex. The other day he asked a feminist classmate for her honest opinion regarding a woman's role in the workforce. Never mind how the girl launched into an exquisite harangue about how no woman should have to submit to the slavery of marriage or child-rearing. That was all well and good. What bothered me, and what should have pestered you, was the overall respect that he showed her. 
patiently listening, honestly striving to empathize, it was nauseating. Such behavior must be undermined at once. Your boy will be educated to see females as little more than lollipops to satisfy his lust and gratification. In the past, this approach was reserved primarily for males. However, the inroads we've made with transferring this attitude onto women in recent years have surpassed all expectations. Whole training manuals have been rewritten to accommodate new strategies and opportunities. Discourage your client from ever believing he might cultivate an actual friendship with these creatures. Repeat to him over and over that women are incomprehensible. They are inferior, self-absorbed, fickle, secretive, conspiratorial, unpredictable. In short, they are the enemy, and as the enemy, they must be Conquered. Every relationship with a female must be seen as a conquest. N not necessarily sexual at first, although spontaneous opportunities should never go unexploited. In the beginning, let it simply be a matter of who has the upper hand. Who has control? His entire courtship experience in youth. All is merely a rehearsal stage for mastering all the potential means of manipulating women. I promise you the compulsion for control will carry over into marriage. If we're persistent, it should emerge in every relationship with the opposite sex in every facet of his life. The moment he starts to think that he might treat these... Mealworms as equals, partners, or mutual companions. The battle is turning against you. Control, I cannot apply this word too often, should perpetually be at the forefront of his mind. Even if he gives in to these petty females from time to time, it's only for the greater good of establishing ever-increasing control. This should build and build until he finally squashes her, or until she squashes him. It really doesn't matter, just as long as somebody is being squashed. After all, we're in the squashing business. I hope you're up to date on the current fixation among teenagers in the organization regarding how far they can go on a date and still consider themselves worthy? Your answer to this question is invariably all the way, but initially you must convince your target that this is an insoluble quandary, much like astrophysics or quantum mechanics, far too complex for ordinary human apprehension. Keep him over-intellectualizing. If you allow him to make it a spiritual question... The jig is up. He'll recognize, to our perpetual frustration, that by imploring the aid of his infuriating gift, he can realize the correct answer at any given moment, and that no internal disputation was ever required. It is an atrocious epiphany.
the more you can get him to discuss detailed fantasies and fables with his friends, never with adults or organizational leaders, the more likely you will be to persuade him that the sky is the limit. There's always an ample supply of fools who will proclaim that he, she, can go as far as they desire without going all the way. I love the logic that boundaries vary for various personalities, that some young salamanders can cuddle and smooch for hours without the interference of expanding temptation, while others are inclined to plunge into immorality after a single peck. Your boy will invariably want to test himself, to identify to which category he belongs. Then he'll keep testing himself, and keep testing himself. All the while, you must reinforce the subterfuge. Yes, I'm still in control. Yep, still in control. <laughs> it's, it's all a wicked, wonderful illusion, of course. With each successive notch, we're the ones who seize greater control. I can assure you, if you pursue this pattern of attack... You will enjoy countless hours of side-splitting entertainment as you lead your target by the proboscis through all the stages of gray to the most Stygian blacks. What your boy doesn't realize, what he must never realize, is that for us this is all sort of a race against time. The opposition has given them all of these drives and instincts naturally, <laughs> deliberately. I don't snicker. It's absolutely true. Cross my heart and hope to live. The archenemy's object is far more cunning than you might realize. If your target disciplines these drives while in his youth, the result can be catastrophic. I'm thoroughly disgusted every time I ponder two of these jackanapes genuflecting across the altar inside one of those impenetrable temples, wholly clean and poisonously pure because of our devastating failures. So, in our race against time, it's essential that we get them dating, courting, hanging out, and hooking up with one another as soon as possible. Eight is not too soon. Nine is adequate. Ten is tolerable. Eleven is acceptable. Twelve is tremendous. Thus we'll have every chance to send their natural drives spiraling out of control. The sooner we can entice them to advance from hand-holding to kissing to more advanced stimulations the sooner we can smush them like cockroaches and grind them into the pavement. Oh, and remember, once you snag any kind of hook into Mr. Hansen's hubris, keep him physically as far away from bishops and other organizational pests as humanly possible. These people are anathema to everything we seek to accomplish. Inundate! your target with fear and loathing over any type of confrontation with these imperious prudes. 
Remind him that his bishop is his neighbor just a few doors down the avenue. If he succumbs to some kind of embarrassing, soul-crushing confessional, he will still be forced to walk despondently past this person's driveway every day, every single day. And every day, behind his bishop's insipid smile, will abide the flavor of bile. Reinforce to your target that his bishop cannot possibly forget the awful particulars of his abhorrent admissions. Magnify in your target's mind the falsehood that there is no confession in history quite as reprehensible as his. Certainly nothing that approaches such a nauseating and execrable character. Blockade any perception of the resuscitating, meliorating power associated with a bishop's mantle. Plug his ears, sing fa-la-la-la-la as loud as your lungs can bray. One meddling bishop can spoil an entire buffet. Oftentimes we must begin again at square one. What an egregious loss! Can you introduce your boy to a nice girl? That is, to an ally for our cause? Preferably a temptress whose strings we already yank and draw like a marionette? In addition, I insist, Frognot, that after you achieve this feat, please, please encourage your target to overcome just a sliver of his shyness and insecurity. Not too much. There is a subtle balance here. He must remain moderately reluctant. This is how our siren will exercise her ultimate supremacy. It's always better if your boy believes this may, in fact, be the only girl who will ever truly fall for him. In the meantime, keep stimulating his curiosity. I was pleased that you managed to entice him, albeit subliminally, into rooting for the hero and heroine to commit an immoral act in a recent episode of his favorite primetime drama. I'd love to ogle oodles of these kinds of incongruities. But keep such lapses of logic buried in his subconscious for now. We certainly wouldn't want him to recognize our gradual and inescapable progression. Your Imperial Inquisitor, Maquip. Okay. And that's it for now. One creepy character takes a lot out of you. Join us again in a couple weeks for HMail 5 and beyond. First... I mean, next, I'll do a regular traditional-type episode, and then more of Muckwhip's Guide. Merry Christmas, everyone. Remember, if you don't feel as close to the Lord today as yesterday, who moved? Thank you for listening. Or how is it that they say it at the end of the audiobooks from my publisher? We hope you enjoyed the presentation. Truly, I do hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll be back. This is Chris Heimerdinger. And this is Forever LDS. Mm-hmm.